27th episode of the Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Michael Majors. I'm a gold-level pro. He's a platinum-level pro, and we're going to talk about Modern. Majors, are you excited? Yeah, Modern's actually, like, super fun right now. Well, that's because you like playing Death Shadow. Yeah, but there's, like, five Death Shadow decks, so it's really fresh. (laughs) A very diverse metagame. Yeah, I mean, you know, they've only got, like, 28 card overlap. It's basically the same as Legacy, right? Yeah, but, I mean, we could argue the pros and cons of Legacy. I mean, as we have kind of alluded to, I really enjoy playing Legacy when nobody else is playing Legacy. Yeah, that is definitely true. I like that, too. That's See, that's why I liked playing Legacy, like, four years ago. Yeah, it's great. It's really easy to beat up bad decks when you have Wasteland, Days, Brainstorm. Yeah, I never took that route. I took, like, the, the Him to Turok route. Yeah, I mean, that's fine, too. You can always brute force people. You can also kind of just, like, hybridize the two these days, so... Yeah, well, these days it's different because everyone's decks are all pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I think, I mean, obviously, I don't know how we got off topic here, but... Me either. (laughs) This is the modern episode. Let's talk about, like... (laughs) I think Reed Duke's deck is, like, super good. Yeah, I do too. I love Leobold. Anyway, modern. Let's talk about modern. So, the plan for the show, we have this wonderful website called MTG Goldfish. If somehow you do not know about this website, you should probably go to it because it's pretty great. One of the things that I like is that they have, like in this case, a modern metagame, where you can just click on it, it shows you, like, all the decks that have gone 5-0 in leagues or, you know, top-aided whatever sort of premiere event is out there, and it counts the decks and kind of, I don't know, gives you, like, a snapshot of the metagame. You know, for example, it says Death Shadow, like, that's the number one deck. It is 8.83% of the meta. It There are 70 different deck lists that you could look at. And, you know, it does some stuff with, like, price breakdowns and whatever. But a few things that I think are inaccurate. Like, I'm definitely... I want to talk about, like, the percentages and stuff like that and how big these decks are relative to each other because I think this is a reasonable enough snapshot, but it is inaccurate for a few reasons. And I'm just going to list these. And these are the ones that just came off the top of my head. So this is basically only a winner's metagame. This is not the actual metagame of a tournament. It's just a snapshot, effectively, of kind of what is doing well. But a lot of the data comes from Magic Online, and Magic Online doesn't post all the deck lists. It's just, like, RNG, basically, for, like, which deck lists uh, out of the 5-0s get posted. Another thing that's, like, kind of oddly inaccurate is, like, some of the decks are split oddly, where, like, you know, one of them is Titan Shift and one of them is Valakut Breach, and I think, like, those are both basically the same deck, you know, so that's kind of odd. And then if I'm sure if you go further down, there's, like, just, like, a random Death Shadow deck that's all by itself for no reason. I don't know how far back this goes. We were looking at Affinity and decklists go back to March uh, that we could find, but it, and that was only like 25 decks. This one says that there's 56 decks total. So this is at least going a ways back. So it could be kind of inaccurate, especially since Death Shadow came up, where like the actual metagame that exists now is much different than the one that existed two or three months ago. One thing that I think is kind of weird about this is that while this might not be the actual metagame, I think it kind of just does become the actual metagame at some point where it's like, oh, people see that Death Shadow is doing well, so maybe they pick it up and that deck gets more popular. Or maybe they see that Death Shadow is doing well and they like build decks to like beat it and stuff. So it's like, I feel like these numbers are like sort of wildly inaccurate, but also probably kind of accurate. Yeah, I mean, I buy, like, the self-fulfilling prophecy arguments. Like, for for example, the first four decks are Death Shadow, Aggro, Affinity, Ban, Eldrazi, and Eldrazi Tron. I, I think if you go to a modern tournament, you are very likely to play against those decks, so... 
And then, like, if you scroll down the page, you know, maybe number 15 is Abzan Company, and that's just kind of like, at this point, the people who are invested in Abzan Company and played it a long time are still playing it, but it's not really what I consider a dominant deck in modern right now. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, and there's some consideration there, too, where, like, if you're going to a modern open and you knew that Logan Mize was going to be, like, the best player and you would probably have to beat him to win the tournament, like, he was probably playing Abzan Company, right? So maybe that's something to take into consideration. I think people are probably still mostly, like, on their modern deck or on their legacy deck. Yeah, I, I do agree that the metagame has changed dramatically in the last two months, basically just because of Death Shadow. Okay, well, let's start there, especially since it is the most popular deck. Like I said, pretty close to 9% according to this. And again, the accuracy of that number is dubious, but it's ballpark. It's general. So you've been playing a lot with this deck. Oddly, you've been playing a lot more with this deck than I have as of late because you've been streaming a bunch. So how's that been going? I've been having a lot of fun. It's not not at all a chore to be playing with these Death Shadow decks, so I've really been enjoying myself. Branching out a lot, I've, I haven't actually played, I don't know if I've played Jund at all on stream, which is weird, but uh, I did play a Modern Open with it and top it there. But mostly I've been kind of dipping my toes into various blue versions. And what's the consensus? Lots and lots of people ask me this question. It's probably the m- most common thing that people ask me. It's like, is your version, whichever I happen to be playing at the time, better than Jund? And the answer I give is, I think they are all very comparable, but the Jun version is a lot more fleshed out, and people have been playing with it longer, and the deck's pretty tricky to play, the sequencing is tough, so people are doing better with Jund. Um, as I'm sure we'll get into, Grixis Shadow has started to pop up really just in the last week and a half. I wonder why. I, I'm, I'm sure that streaming is a factor, but you know, people have kind of like seen Ryan Overturf top 8 the classic with Delvers in his deck. Yeah, but, like, the last ten of these deck lists are just, like, carbon copy from your stream. Yeah, I mean, whatever. Maybe that that is the reason. But, uh, yeah, I think I think Grixis is going to keep winning. The deck is just very good. And maybe, like, Esper and Sultai will start to get some traction in the metagame. So Sultai did not strike me as particularly good, just because it seemed like kind of a slower, dopier version of Jund. But Grixis seemed kind of like Jund, but turbo-powered. And Esper is kind of the Saltai to Grixis, I think. It's, like, kind of a little slower. Like, you have things like Path instead of Lightning Bolt, so it takes you kind of down these more controlling routes. And I don't know. I still don't have an opinion as far as, like, is Grixis better against Jund? Is is Esper better against Grixis? You know, like, I don't know how they stack up against each other, which I think might actually matter a lot. And then, like, whichever color you play kind of factors into what sort of sideboard hate you get, so. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I, I have played a lot of matches, but it's, you know, that being said, even though maybe I've played, like, eight or nine leagues, you know, you can't, you get maybe, like, two or three of each matchup. It's, it's very rare that you'll just, like, play against Death Shadow Aggro over and over again just because Modern is so diverse. Mm -hmm. My general impression is that Grixis is slightly favored against Jun because basically you have better top decks. You have Snapcaster Mage and Colgan's Command to play these longer games. Jund is very much looking to, like, you know, strip the two best cards out of their opponent's hand and then just, like, play two threats back-to-back and hope that's good enough. And then maybe they get in a top deck war where they have eight-ish threats plus Traverse, which is, like, a solid density, but... You can kind of just undo that by just, like, drawing Snapcaster Mage on Fatal Push or whatever. Yeah. Do you want to note that I agree that Sultai is probably the weakest, but if there was, like, a very specific metagame, or going back to your your Logan example, if I knew that I needed to beat, like, two or three Ad Nauseam players to win my tournament, I think Sultai is very good, because Tarmogoyf plus Stubborn Denial is super powerful. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I saw a lot of the comments in your article were just like, what about Abzian? What about Mardu? <laughs> just like, everyone wants to build every flavor ever. And I, I think it's all reasonable, too. It's just like, every deck has like this little cluster of cards that you just mix and match with other colors, right? It's, yes. Yeah. So like the core of the deck, I think, is, is very simple. It's just like Street Ray Thoughtseize and uh, Death Shadow, and then 12 Fetch Lands. But I, I, I think that people's obsession with like, why don't we just do literally everything? It's like, well, I mean, what's the draw for playing Abzans? Like, if you want to be a rock deck, then you kind of need, like, Traverse. That's the payoff for being this, like, strict rock deck. And then why wouldn't you just play Tarfire to turn your Traverses? Like, it's, it's really important that you actually are able to get Delirium fast. And, like, Mardu, it's, I don't, I don't, what, what's even the draw? I don't, I don't understand. I don't know. Uh, it was just something that someone said. I think the rationale is that, having path and push is much better in the mirror than having push and X. Like, whatever X happens to be, if it's Lightning Bolt or Tar Fire or, you know, Abrupt oh, Decay. I certainly agree, but that's that's the reason you would play Esper. Right. And that, that's kind of the thing, too, is like, you know, if you want to try Abzan, why wouldn't you play Esper instead? Like, it seems completely reasonable to me, and I think Snapcaster, alongside those removal spells, is probably what's going to give you a leg up in the mirror match rather than just like making sure all your removal connects yeah i agree I, I think basically people just haven't like properly visualized it as jund and to a lesser extent sultai are traverse decks and grixis and esper are snapcaster decks yeah this is a good way of putting it and if granted these decks are high power right so it's like even if grixis is a five percent favorite over jund or something like jund is still going to be able to steal games by just discard spell discard spell tarmogoyf right like that is what they are trying to do and then the grixis deck is probably mostly pigeonholed into taking more controlling route but at the same time like if they're playing against a death shadow variant that has only like pushes and decays and stuff like their tassiger is basically unkillable yeah absolutely those are definitely considerations yeah it just gives them another extra point in the matchup so have you played against jund much with grixis like i don't know if you have any personal experience in the matchup at least twice i can think of off the top of my head and i'm pretty sure a third i mean i've i've been winning a lot just to be frank so but like a lot of the games are very close okay i think you and i could both talk about death shadow all day long but we should probably move on because modern's big how's that sound yeah i agree I, I will just make the last plug, which I've kind of been repeating a lot. These these Death Shadow decks are super powerful. They're going to keep evolving, and I think they're potentially dangerous. So as, as much as I'm enjoying them, I don't really know if they're good for modern. I mean, we're, we're enjoying them because they're kind of busted, right? It's just like a little bit better than what everyone else is doing. They're just so efficient. Yeah, exactly. It's like my Grixis deck, I don't feel like a dog against Tron and Burn anymore. That's just stupid. Yeah, it's messed up. It's kind of like having the color pie not matter, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. It's like standard with dismember. Like this is how stupid it feels. No, that's actually a really good comparison. I can be like wildly behind in games, and then I just like draw a ten ten, and then my opponent's on a two turn clock. It's just stupid. Yeah, you are you are rock paper and scissors. You just beat everything. Yep. Okay, so affinity, the deck that I think beats nothing. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I have a pretty healthy respect for affinity because if I'm if I'm ever on the draw and they play like four or five cards on turn one. You can still just be a dog, but they also just have, like, situations where, like, they draw too much mana and not enough payoffs, or their hand is clunky, or they just mulligan, or they get hit by hate cards, and it's, like, there's so many different scenarios where things go wrong. But that being said, like, Affinity is a very scrappy deck. The people who are good with it, like, can find lines just to put their opponents on two-turn clocks, 
But I kind of view Affinity as I viewed, like, Infect in the past, which has kind of fallen out of favor. If you just, like, pick your fights appropriately against Affinity and you're patient and you don't, like, walk into any traps, like, it's much easier to play the games. Yeah, I think that's definitely worth noting. I think a lot of people will be like, oh, I have to kill this Signal Pest because it's dealing me two damage a turn or whatever, and then they stick a Steel Overseer or something and then you just die. Uh, Affinity is also just one of the decks that I am very scared of, and it it's always in the back of my mind when I'm building decks and specifically building my sideboard and stuff. And if I can find a card that is kind of good against affinity that also overlaps against something else, then I will most likely do that just to have another card against them. Because especially with a lot of the decks that I play, like a lot of my cards did not interact very favorably against affinity, just like the mana leaks and inquisitions and crap like that. So like, yeah, affinity's scary, but the onus is on them kind of to have the good draw, right? It's like they have to have the explosive draw, plus they have to have enough actual threats to matter. And if they don't do that, then their game plan just kind of falls apart. You know, they're nickel and diming you, and it's normally pretty easy to clean that up. Yeah, and, and for whatever reason, like, the narrative, to some extent, this is the banning of Gitaxian Probe has been a huge factor as well, but, like, the narrative is, like, Fatal Push has, you know, really made Infect a lot weaker, and I, I think it's made Affinity a lot worse as well, too. Yeah, that's almost certainly true. So, Affinity is clocking in at a little over 7%. I have not seen Affinity do well lately, nor have I seen it even, like, being played all that much. This is kind of, like, where this number starts to make me question the validity of what's going on here, but... Sure. I I mean, I still think there's probably just a lot of folks who own Mox Opals, so they want to keep playing Affinity. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't fault them, and I definitely think that exists. That is a thing, like... Well, we were kind of talking about the Team Grand Prix in San Antonio, and it's like Affinity is just one of the decks that doesn't share cards with most things, so I feel like that's going to be a pretty popular choice there too. Yeah, I agree. Maybe Affinity is the most egregious example of the metagame share being a little out of touch, but I mean, I I still think the deck is popular. Like, it's even gotten some new cards, but most of the time it is the deck that just does not get any better, while everyone else's deck gets new tools, you know? Yeah, it's mostly true. Like, I mean, I guess Spire of Industry is kind of an upgrade or whatever, but it's they're, they're few and far between. Okay, third deck, Banteldrazi, a uh, little over 6%. And I know that a lot of people like to hate on this deck, but I think this deck is pretty good. It's kind of like slow and mopey, but it it's just very good. And it kind of has like these nut draws that give you free wins, which is sort of what you need to compete in modern, especially if you're playing one of these dopey decks. Yeah, I know this isn't, like, the most apt comparison, but these days, because I kind of just think that normal Jund and normal Abzan are kind of inferior to Death Shadow stuff, Banteldrazi kind of strikes me as, like, the honest rock deck of our, of our time. Yeah, it is kind of that. It, it Like, the Death Shadow deck is very good because of that, right? Because it has the clock, and Banteldrazi is kind of representing the same thing, where, like, Thought Not Seer is more disruptive than Tarmogoyf, and... Maybe you can't play it on turn two every game or whatever, but like turn three is relatively common, and Reality Smasher is just a thing that helps you close games, you know? It's like you disrupt them a little bit, kind of stop them from doing their thing, and then you get to kill them very quickly. Notably, Banteldrazi kind of like, you, you basically have to respect it with like the way you build your decks, and especially on your sideboard, like usually want to like hedge your removal towards maybe like some Terminates or Pact Exiles or what have you, because like... You can't just show up with, like, Fatal Push, Lightning Bolt, and Abrupt Decay and expect to beat this deck. Right. Another added benefit of playing this deck, like, doesn't really use the graveyard, doesn't really have artifacts, you know? It's like, it gets to play Stony Silence and Rest in Peace and isn't vulnerable to any sort of hate card. It's more so just, like, it's vulnerable to just matchups, and that's about it. But you can't really hate this deck out. 
Yeah, I agree. And and also just like notably Ancient Stirrings is probably in the top 10 most busted cards in modern. Likely. I don't know. I don't think I would ever play this deck necessarily. There was an open a while ago, one of the ones where I missed my flight. I think it was Orlando, where I had this deck like sleeved up and ready to go and I was going to play it. So it's in my range, you know? Right now, compared to Death Shadow, like, hands down, Death Shadow just crushes this, in my opinion. Not like the matchup head-to-head or whatever, but just, like, what deck would I rather play in a tournament? It is Death Shadow. But, yeah, I do think this deck is good. I think that people are kind of hard on it, just because it's kind of like this slow-looking, dirtly deck in a format of, like, potential turn three and turn four kills. But this deck continually performs well. Yep, I I think it is the best Noble Hierarch deck right now. I would agree with that. Which I think is actually a, a notable like distinction in the format. Yeah, I mean, Noble Hierarch is just one of the best cards in the format, for sure. If you are not pairing your green cards with black disruptive elements, you are probably playing Noble Hierarch. So, deck number four. More dopey mid-range stuff, sort of. Eldrazi Tron, a little over 5%. How do you feel about this one? I don't, I don't really know how I feel about Eldrazi Tron. Like, I know Todd Stevens went on some like pretty monster runs, both online and in tournaments with it, but I kind of feel like it's just a worse version of Bant Eldrazi. Like, you're doing similar things, but Eldrazi Tron like, has a bigger problem with drawing the one half of your deck. Like, you're either drawing the big mana stuff, and like you have no payoffs, or you're just drawing all this like small ball stuff and can't like effectively cast your spells. I think it has like a pretty bad identity crisis, even though it is like capable of some powerful stuff. My issue with it is that it's not very consistent at setting up Tron, and the games that you you just kind of backdoor into it, it's like, okay, cool, you know, it's kind of like you drew two Eldrazi temples, right? It's like you weren't planning on that happening necessarily, but when it happens, you just kind of go off. Outside of, like, Walking Ballista, this deck doesn't really have anything powerful to use it for. It's like, okay, now I get to go off and play, like, my Reality Smasher a turn ahead of schedule, and I have, like, two or three mana floating. Can I do anything with that, you know? And that's just kind of pathetic. Yeah, it's consistently, like... Whenever I do lose Eldrazi Tron, it's because they, like, natural Tron or Tron plus map into, like, their one or two Karn. And it's like, well, if you're just going to do that, then you should just be playing normal Tron. Yeah, if that's your good draw, if that's the only thing that could beat me, then yeah. I mean, it is kind of similar to Bant Eldrazi in that it has Expedition map instead of Hierarch. So you you effectively have eight ways to turn three a Thought Knot Seer, you know, because you can map for a temple or just draw a temple. So it has that going for it, which I think is just a requisite to play Eldrazi. Like, you need to be kind of consistent in your turn three Thought Knot Seers. And for Eldrazi Tron, I think it's just like, you know, how good is Chalice of the Void? Or how good is playing Dismember? Or I'm trying to think of some other lock piece. There just isn't one. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it is just those. It's just like, what is the upside to playing this instead of Band? Because it's not the one Ulamog. Tell you that much. I think All's Dust is actually super underrated. That card's really powerful. It can be, certainly. There, there's some matchups where your opponent just like can't beat it. But I agree, and I, I think that like it kind of what I just alluded to, like playing a deck that is set up to do these kinds of things and not playing Ancient Stirrings is just kind of disastrous. Yep, I definitely agree with that. It just seems like it's a little too inconsistent, you know? And it's still putting up reasonable numbers. I don't really know how, but it is kind of doing it. I mean, it's it's good draws are still good. I, I think Inbringer is actually just a pretty damn good magic card, and maybe it should be slotted into Bant in some capacity. I don't know. Uh, but would you rather Endbringer or Drowner of Hope? Well, I mean, I, I think that they have pros and cons in different matchups. Obviously, like, a Assembling Displacer plus Drowner, you know, is game-ending, but I think Inbringer really does put a lot of pressure on your opponent in different capacities, and it can, like, beat some weird stuff. Like, I guess to be fair, Drowner of Hope can also beat, like, 
Grizzle Brand, so maybe that's not the yeah. best comparison. Yeah, I, th- I just think I Drowner having like the zero mana immediate effect on the board is just so much better than Endbringer. Like having to untap with Endbringer and it being vulnerable to spot removal and just all all that. It's just like I would rather have the quick two shot off Drowner. I feel like that decides more games than like maybe I get to untap with my Endbringer and start working it. Yeah. Okay. I I think maybe you've convinced me. Maybe Eldrazi Tron should splash Drowner of Hope. Maybe that is the takeaway here. I guess being able to play four Ghost Quarter in your main deck has some amount of utility. That's definitely true, but it's also just so awkward. You are also trying to make your land drops and, like, play big things, right? Like, I agree, but, I mean, there are games where you'll just, like, play one or two things and then Ghost Quarter can protect your lead, so... And then that's game. That's certainly game at that point. But, I don't know. We said Affinity was probably the most egregious thing with uh, this numbers issue. I think Burn is the second one. And this is another one where it comes up. So we have Burn at 4.5%, give or take. And then we have Naya Burn, like, a few slots lower at 2%. Effectively the same deck, sort of. Like, whether or not you play Wild Nakatl is basically the difference here. So it is kind of big, but it's still, like, I, I would classify them as the same thing. So, like, Burn is a little bit more popular than these Eldrazi decks. Whenever I'm thinking about preparing for a modern tournament, like, I always expect to play against Burn, like, you know, 1.8 times per tournament or whatever. I think it's the, the the generic deck that you should always at least hedge against a little bit. Does it affect a lot of your decisions, like, you know, whether or not Wild Nakatl is popular or not? No, not really. I, I think, like, in general, if you're if you're building your deck to have some fight against goblin guide plus you know boros charm then the the details are mostly irrelevant so i i did like burn i liked it a lot at the pc i played it i was super happy with my choice and very confident and i very easily 3-0'd and it was like a, a direct representation of what an actual modern metagame looked like i felt and then the bannings happened which removed a lot of the good matchups for burn and made a lot of bad matchups come into the metagame and then death shadow happened Things are really complicated for Burn right now. It just does not seem very good. I think people still think that Death Shadow loses to Burn, which is just not the truth at all. Oh, especially once you have Stubborn Denial. Yeah, well, I mean, Brutality is super good, too. And, and, and usually the games are very close, or at least they look a lot closer than they are sometimes. But I think once you kind of get like a knack for the matchup from the Death Shadow side, and you kind of understand... like. You know what is the danger range? What cards should I take with my discard spells? Then the matchup is is certainly favorable, even though it's always like pretty exciting, tense magic. I agree with that. A lot of it involves juggling your life total, and if you make a small mistake, it is very possible that you just die on the spot. And then the the games where you have Death Shadow versus the games where you draw like Tarmogoy, for example, are also much different. But I do feel like the edge is with Death Shadow and. I mean, it's, it is it is close to being close. It's probably like 60-40 or something. But I do think that it's just like another really bad matchup for Burn. I, I don't know if I like the the very adjective here, but it it is bad, I think. Well, it's like 60-40 for Modern, I think, is pretty bad. I think the matchup really... And this is a flaw with, with Burn in general, is like... I, I think most people don't realize, especially if they don't play Burn, that Burn actually wants to draw like three lands a game. Because being able to double spell through, like, the last two to three turns of the game is super important. And if you ever just have, like, a clunky draw with, like, one or maybe two lands against Death Shadow, you can just never deploy your stuff in time. Yeah, and a similar line, like, just drawing multiple two-mana cards is bad. Like, you need high enough density of one-mana cards, too, so that you can actually do the double spell thing. Yeah, exactly. Or or especially, like, if your one-mana spells are creatures, then those, like, very quickly get invalidated, so... 
Yeah, I found that uh, playing against both Eldrazi and Death Shadow with Burn. Like, that definitely happens a lot. Like, if the card you draw in turn four is Goblin Guide or whatever, it's usually not good enough. Like, the hands where you just have all Lava Spikes and you just get to kind of sandbag them for a little bit are the best ones. Yeah, and in an ideal world to be Death Shadow, like, they deploy their threat, you go and step Boros Charm and then just, like, throw six to nine at their head. Yep. Uh, going forward right now... Probably not a good choice. Just seems like there are too many bad matchups around. And Burn, unlike most of the decks in this format, is not very conducive to actually, like, tuning your deck to be better in certain matchups. Like, you can play some sideboard cards, but you also can't over-sideboard, so it doesn't even really help you. Yeah, I, I can't even count the number of games where I felt like I could never win in a million years, but my opponent just had, like, double destructive revelry in their hand or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that that's very common. <laughs> uh, so, do not recommend... But next deck, Ad Nauseam, we have a friend who likes this deck a lot. I don't know why. I have no idea. Well, he but, liked it before. It was cool. I don't know if he likes it anymore. Yeah, I mean, it is, dude, it's, it's on the top line. It's on the top six. Coming in at 3.28% of the metagame. You joke, but I actually think Ad Nauseam probably is the deck that has gotten the most, like, I don't know, surge of popularity or maybe, like, most winningest results lately of any modern deck. Well, that's Death Shadow. Uh, okay, I'm not counting that. But Okay. Not I, counting the obvious one, where yeah. you have 70 new decks in two months or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it has gotten really popular. Like, it would show up in top eights occasionally, and it won the SCG Open in Indy. So, certainly that's going to help its case, you know? And I think the top eight didn't even look very good for it, but still managed to win. Yeah, so. I'm trying to pull up his list. I can't actually easily find it. And, and, and granted, like, I haven't followed the evolution of ad nauseum so maybe i'm just kind of wrong in this assertion but it seemed like nicholas bird who got first place in indy like his list just looked really good yeah i don't know it seems like not a lot has changed in this deck it's like do you play spoils do you not play spoils are you playing a mystical teachings do you have grave titan or crovax in your sideboard like i mean i just have like a huge i don't know peer through depths is one of my my pet cards is basically what i'm trying to say in a non-vulgar way did he have peer yeah, three of them. Okay. So, did he also have Desperate Ritual? Yep. Three pure, one Desperate, one Mystical Teachings, no Funky Wind Condition, just a Lightning Storm, one Slaughter Pack, three Pack to Negation. Okay. Yeah, that's legit. Uh, oh, so no Spoils. Correct. He has Pure instead of Spoils. Yep. Just four Visions, four Slide of Hand, Ad Nauseam Pure, obviously the combo pieces, and then just, like, mana, and that's it. Yeah. His deck was just very streamlined. Yeah, that sound pure sounds good to me. I mean, it does it does get both halves of the combo. I don't know. It always felt like playing spoils. Like, obviously, the math is kind of okay. You know, like I think Carson did an article on this a while ago, and it was like the math was surprisingly good. But you are still going to lose some games to it. Yeah, it's, it's it's also like a worse setup spell if that makes sense. Like, if you're like not dying, but like your hand is kind of weak, it's it's much better to be casting pure than spoils. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, even if you're stuck on lands or whatever, you can still just, like, peer into a sleight of hand or something and end up being fine. I guess, like, maybe the kind of takeaway there is, like, peer through depths is probably better against discard, which, you know, obviously Death Shadow is a huge portion of the metagame. And it's probably, like, a little bit more stable when, like, the, the rest of the format's not super fast. And obviously we just looked at it, and it's, like, you know, Affinity and Eldrazi decks. So, like, you're not dying too quickly. Yeah, okay. I like that change. I'm looking at some of these recent Magic Online decks, and they're still playing Spoils, so... Uh, no respect. No yeah, respect. That is weird. Yeah, eighth, eighth place at the Open in Dallas also had Spoils. 
Eighth place finisher Ricky Lynn also has a main deck white ley line, which I think is gas. You just jam it off your pin tap prism. Dude, at what point is it okay to just main deck white ley line? Like, obviously, if burn were bigger, it would be even, you know, a, a better idea or whatever, but Death Shadow's big. This is a combo deck. You're probably pretty bad against them. You likely win a lot of games just having dead cards. To be fair, I think it's, like, shockingly close, and, like, hard casting ley line on turn three off your pen type prism is not the worst. It's not the worst. It sounds pretty bad to me, though. Well, of course it's bad, but, like, there there is a huge upside to having this in your deck. If you do randomly spike it, like, it's basically impossible to lose a game one. Yeah. I mean, you obviously you need some other things going on or whatever, but... If you're playing normal magic. Yeah, if you're playing normal magic, I don't care about this card. I don't want it. If you are playing a combo deck like this, I mean... Dude, who cares? You ha- you have so much garbage in your deck. Like, none of your cards do anything except, like, combine to kill your opponent. That's all you're doing. Do you really need, like, the Lab Maniac main? If you cut spoils, then you probably don't, right? Because, like, I think that's mostly there in case you spoils away your win condition. I mean, you can just, like, get got by a discard spell or whatever, but obviously... You can, but they often don't know that. Uh, well, true, but given the the way that the deck has moved in the past months, like, if my hand was, like, kind of weak, or, like, I thought my chances of losing the game were pretty high against, like, a normal, you know, what I see in their hand, I would definitely just take a lightning storm and just hope. Sure, that's legit. But, you know, I mean, if if they have, like, Leyline instead of some of these clunky cards, then maybe it's not that big of a deal. Oh, no, I mean, I'd be way more about playing one or two Leyline in my deck if I was playing Ad Nauseam than the Laboratory Maniac. And then you just you have kind of this built-in protection against discard for your one combo kill card. Now, granted, I don't think I'm going to be playing ad nauseum with one leyline in the main deck anytime soon. But you know, no, I might I might play two. I don't know. I'd find a way to get another <laughs> one in there. Okay. Yeah, I think I broke it. Maybe that's that's the deck I'll play in San Antonio. I would be pretty upset if my opponent game one leylined me. Yeah, exactly, dude. It's going to be great. That sounds awesome. <laughs> All right, you do you. I'm going to cast Death Shadows. Yeah, the 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 other well, Raptors got that locked up. Uh, we, ha- we we have to give it to him. Damn it, that sucks. I know it, it is definitely the worst part about being on this team. <laughs> what about ad nauseum for a normal tournament? Do you like? I don't think we actually talked about like how good is this deck. I think it is very good. It like, is just the most consistent combo deck. Therefore, yeah, like like I think you know this is like a turn four to turn six deck. But it has a lot of redundancy and a lot of means to search through your deck with cantrips and peer and spoils if you're into that. Again, because the format is kind of like in the spot where you're not dying like super fast, like this probably is just the best combo deck. I think Storm's pretty embarrassing, which we'll, you know, talk about a little bit more. Dude, I love Storm. I think it's total garbage. It's probably really bad, but I I just like it. Anyway, I guess if you are the combo person, like Ad Nauseum is probably where you want to be. I think there are some other options that are probably not as good, but this one is doing well it is very consistent it has like a lot of the same combo piece it has still like a lot of decent card filtering stuff i would recommend peer through depths over spoils i think that's just a safer call and you're not losing out on much by having the extra one mana so i think all that stuff sounds good agreed all right what about black green tron is that kind of like the consensus now? The splash is for collective brutality. Yeah, I think they have all the Tron decks different, like separated. Oh no, I just clicked on the first one and it had bolts in it, so there goes that theory. Oh well, it has BG listed on the Tron, but yeah, you're right. There's some bolts. Okay, so Tron in general is a little over three percent. It is awkward that like you no longer get to prey on the Jun decks in the format. 
I just assume that normal Jund should just kind of die. That is also my assumption. It is just a worse version of Death Shadow. And there aren't many metrics, if any, where Jund is actually better than Death Shadow, right? Maybe in the straight mirror match, maybe. But I, I don't even think so. Yeah, I don't either. I think that deck has too many lands and too many four drops. Like, you can point to like, oh, well, they can grind better. And it's like, well, is your Huntmaster good against Death Shadow? Because I don't think it is. Right. Eventually, you're going to draw two or three lands in a row, and they're just going to overwhelm you with their fifth thing. Yup. So, Tron is not great against Death Shadow. I do think the match is the matchup is still pretty close, and I haven't really seen any like great sideboard technology from them. I feel like they could probably adapt somehow. I'm not sure how. Uh, I think they are much better against Jun than various blue decks because Stubborn Denial, like fighting Karn, is just stupid. Yeah, um, especially when it's Stubborn Denial over like Inquisition, which is kind of medium. And they have things that you can't fatal push if you're playing the black green version. Right. And and also like Relic of Progenitus is I mean, it, it is still good against like Snapcaster Mage and Tassiger, don't get me wrong, but like being able to slow down Traverse and Tarmogoyf is way more impactful in the matchup against Jund than against Grixis. So what's the deal? What can they even play? Like, is something like Ensnaring Bridge even good? Like, does that even help? Nah, I mean you would have to like dramatically transform in your sideboard for you to make bridge effective i think i guess it's possible you could maneuver the game in a point where like you just have your two payoffs in your hand and they can't fight through that but like they're probably still incentivized to have colgan's command in their deck so i don't know that seems bad well i think a big part of the matchup is actually how you get to deal with worm coil engine and i guess whether or not you can deal with worm coil engine yeah okay i, I agree with that worm coil's got to be the best card in the matchup so i think like looking at some of these lists real quickly looks like people are still playing world breaker and like two Ulamog, so I'd probably be more interested in, in like slanting towards like four Worm Coil, one Ulamog. Just being able to grudge your K commands over like a Death Toucher, that is probably just the biggest deal in the matchup, I think. Yeah, I mean, that's really tough to set up, granted. It is, absolutely. I mean, if they get to stick a Worm Coil, it is very difficult. It's almost as bad as like them sticking an Ugin. I think Karn is beatable because there are times where you could just have two threats in play, and especially if you're the Grixis one, it's like you probably don't even care because you have, like, Snap Bolt. But, yeah, I mean, they certainly have very good draws, but a lot of the time you just get to, like, disrupt them enough, just take them a little bit off base, right? And then you can just generally leverage that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't recommend Tron's basically what I'm what I'm getting around to saying. No, you're not You're not Tron biased, right? Because... Uh, I, you, I, I think I hate it, like, historically, because I've lost to it, like, a ton in tournaments. Yeah, but you almost played it once, didn't you? Mm, yeah, almost. I think I tricked Todd into playing it, and I like took his teamer Grixis cards or something. I don't really remember. That sounds right. Cincinnati or something. Like the weekend I moved back. Yeah, I mean, like Tom has went through a kick where he was like pretty high on Tron for several tournaments in a row, and and, and won an open with it. Granted, but I think even he thinks that Tron is quite bad. I'm looking at a sideboard now that has two Platinum Empyreans and two Orbs of Warding. I have no idea what those are for, but okay. Oh well. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking through Tron deck list, man. I was like, what could they have to beat the Death Shadow? Someone show me something. Just nothing. Yeah, I don't think anybody has good tech. I mean, like, your, your top end is still, like, naturally strong. Yeah, but I don't know. I think it's a combination of, like, Push, Relic, and a bunch of Worm Coils. That's probably your best bet. Agreed. At least for stuff that doesn't make you go out of your way to try and beat them. Yeah, I think if I was going to slant my Tron deck to beat Death Shadow decks, I would start with at least three Relic in my main and have the fourth in the 75. Other than that, uh, kind of risky. Always risky sleeping up the old Tron deck. What about Merfolk? That's that's an old favorite of yours. I think you played this deck in your first Pro Tour. Is that true? 
or second pro tour second one yeah i mean i'm sure people don't view me as a merfolk guy in any capacity but i've actually played merfolk at a lot of high level tournaments like multiple grand prix and a pt yeah this was before you were good uh that's not very nice <laughs> i don't know like i always put up like pretty good results with merfolk like i was good at playing it and i don't know i was i was just super scrappy yeah, I know, man. You were always good. I get it. And no, it's not I, what I'm trying I, yeah. to argue. Like, like I built like my Merfolk deck in a very specific way, where like most people like messed around. Like, I didn't even have Spreading Seas in my deck at one point. Well, I think that's kind of silly because the Island Walk matters probably in some matchups. But oh well, I mean, like I had like Aquatex of Will in the Pro Tour. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. That's fine. So, well, like I said, like uh, people, and I guess people are, are more high on Meridry these days. But back in the day, people didn't play for Meridry, and it was the best card for me. And I played a bunch of Phantasmal Images, so I was always trying to like combo my opponents out. Okay, no, that's cool. I like that. I think there are a lot of ways to actually build this deck. There are a lot of different schools of thought for like you know Dismember versus Vapor Snag, and like I've seen some people like cutting Aether Vial, which I think is lunacy. Oh, oh like, well, how I, many? I, I was actually just about to say that I never registered Aether Vial. Yeah, okay. I, I thought that there was like a tournament where you didn't play Aether Vial or something, but no, yeah, I never you just that. never play it, dude. Yeah, you're weird. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm not gonna argue with that, man. Uh... It was just. It's so bad to draw two of them. It's just a disaster. Okay, so you should at least play one, right? It's like the Leyline thing. <laughs> sure. If it's in your opening hand, it's it's good to go. Yeah, that's that's just game. I don't know. I, I, I think Merfolk is not a particularly great modern deck, but it is underrated. I know that is kind of a oxymoron, but I, I do think it's true. It's not. Mostly agree with you, too. Like, I'm this deck is kind of growing on me. I would probably never play it, but... Yeah. I do think that when people are just like, oh, it's unplayable, it's not a deck, blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, they have, like, Chalice, Dismember, Vapor Snag, Spreading Seas. Like, these are cards that, like, a lot of decks are scared of, you know? Here's my hot take on Merfolk. And granted, I have played zero games of Merfolk in the last, god, I don't know, at least a year, probably longer. I would cut all my Master Aways from my main deck. I am down with that. I think Fatal Push has just made that card a complete joke. And every time my opponent is stuck with it in their hand or you know spends their entire turn to play it i just usually capitalize yeah and that that's all it takes right against this deck is like you just need like a turn or two of reprieve and if they were able to stay on top of you then it's just lights out but yep uh, other hint for you know playing against your merfolk opponents i don't care what's in their hand if you play a discard spell take servo go adopt yeah that's pretty much true too uh, i mean that's that's really all i have to say like i mean all these lists are kind of like I think they are kind of hive-minded, which is probably hurting Merfolk players as a whole. Yeah, I well, they only have so much information to go off of, right? So it's like, if you decide that you want to play Merfolk because it's fun or convenient or whatever, like, you're probably just going to copy a list, and then that just perpetuates, so... Yeah, but it's, it's like, not even a cheap deck, like... I mean, obviously, I'm sure most of them are... Or most of Merfolk players these days, like, have been playing it for a long time. They just really like it. And it was probably cheap at a point, right? Yes, yes. That, that is also a good point. It's under 500, and that's because, you know, the deck has gotten more and more popular. And obviously, some of that is factored into, like, whether or not you play Vials or Cavern of Souls or whatever. I guess the Lord of Atlantis is, like, $20? Jesus. I mean, Curse Catcher is actually a million dollars in real life, even though it's pretty cheap on Moto. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah, so Lord is 20 online. Curse Catcher is just a million dollars in real life. Same with Aether Vial. How much is it, actually? Like $9, $8? Oh, there is a paper tab. Yeah, I see it. Okay. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. Holy shit. Even Servo Go with that is 3 bucks. You know how many Curse Catchers I threw away? 
I mean, I'm, I was actually, that was the first thought that popped into my head, too. It's like, I had so many silver gold ups. How many curse catchers did I just write on? I don't know, at least eight, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I was, I was generally pretty good about that, where I was like, oh, this is playable, I won't write on it. And then they just sat in a box, and, and then the box disappeared. Aboro like, is fucking $20, holy shit. <laughs> Dude, but so is Manamo. They're both great. The only reason people are playing them in these decks really is to hedge against, like, Choke, which isn't even a thing anymore, so... You don't have to play those if you're trying to budget your Merfolk deck a little bit. Yeah, you definitely don't have to play them. I don't know. Just, like, it is technically correct to play around Choke because you're not losing much by not playing around Blood Moon because you already have 12 islands in your deck or whatever. So I think it is technically correct. You could also just play, like, Wanderwine Hubs, and sometimes those are going to screw you. Oh, yeah, this, this, like, this is my fun story, actually. I uh, Spire Bluff Canal. I would have played Merfolk in another Pro Tour, except for they were sold out of Wonderwine Hubs on site. Or, sold out is the wrong way of putting it. They never had them. So what'd you do instead? I played some crappy Jeskai deck. Dude, I'm sorry. Nah, it's okay. That's terrible. I, I O3'd the draft, so it didn't really matter anyways, but mm. there you go. Would have played Merfolk in two Pro Tours. Well, we'll try and not make it three, I guess. I'll do my best. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I don't know, actually. Maybe I should add Merfolk back to the bucket list and kind of build it my way and see what happens. I, I hope that your way is not the same as it was, you know? Like, I hope you just, like, re-innovate, re-break it, and Merfolk becomes good. Because I do think it is one of the few decks that could potentially have a good matchup against Death Shadow. Also, kind of a funny story, because when I was, like, in my kick... At, at probably at one point, let's say in 2013, if you looked at my computer, I probably had, like, 60 Merfolk deck lists. I'm, I'm not even, like, exaggerating. I probably had That's that gas. many. Well, I mean, there's a lot of splash colors, right? Yeah, I played Deathrite Shaman in my Merfolk deck at one point. Oh, that's great. I like that. It's way better than Aether Vial. Yeah, I played uh, Deathrite and Liliana in my Merfolk deck. I don't know about Liliana. That's awkward. Well, that was kind of ambitious, don't get me wrong, but Deathrite was fucking good. Yeah, I believe that. Okay, so potential deck to try. Also a good one for, you know, Team Constructed, because it just doesn't use any playable cards, so... Yeah, if, if you have a Merfolk guy on your Team Constructed lineup who has been playing it forever, I think that's a great asset. Man, I wonder, who who's the kid that got second in Vancouver? The dude from Winnipeg, I forget his name. I mean, I think he was like a 30-something who had like, you know, been playing Merfolk very seriously. It was like all foiled out. Oh yeah, just like if someone if someone could get him on, on their team, you know, like that's an insane asset, right? Yeah, for sure. You literally take up nothing and like you have a, a competent pilot playing like at least a solid deck. Like, it has good matchups. That's un indisputable. Trying to convince Cho to play Merfolk. It's not working. Yeah, well, just keep updating us throughout the show how that's working out. Okay. Jund, we already talked about this. A little under 3%. Uh, it just seems so bad. Like, Dark Confidant and 24 land and just all these things that are not very relevant. Which deck is Dark Confidant good against, exactly? Uh, nothing. And and actually, I think that's relevant to talk about. It's it's not that Dark Confidant is a bad card or whatever. It's just, like, the way most matchups play out, like, just being up raw cards isn't really that important. You're just not going to have time to deploy everything. Or you're just going to get overpowered by someone doing a more powerful thing than you. So, like, yeah. this 2-mana two 2-1 two is just, like, not that much of an impact on the battlefield. It's, it's modern. The cards have to line up in specific ways. And that's generally how the games play out, is how your cards interact, like, on a one-for-one -one basis. And... Dark Confidant is giving you more of these cards, but a lot of them are just blank. Not, not that I'm not advocating to, like, kill Dark Confidant on site if you have the means to do so, and it's, you know, it feels like the right. right play, but I think in general, like, playing Dark Confidant in your deck is an actual opportunity cost. Yep, and it takes time to cast, too, you know, which in a lot of matchups you can't afford to do that, so 
I don't want to do that. I would rather use things like Liliana the Veil or The Last Hope to get my card advantage that way to, like, you know, win these grindy late games because, like, it's so unlikely that Dark Confidant sticks, whereas Liliana is... Both of them are super powerful and very good and way harder to kill. Yes, and and make an immediate impact, which is kind of the key, I think. So, more reasons why Death Shadow is better than this deck. And again, I can't really think of a reason why this Jun deck would be better than that one. Yeah, agreed. I, I think Abzan is actually relevant to talk about. Do you want to go and do that now? Yeah, I'm down with that. Uh, I mean, Abzan is pretty close. 2.77, Jun was 2.9. Like, they're effectively the same thing, so go nuts. Yeah, I, I mean, I think Abzan, like, is a deck that actually has a good matchup against Death Shadow. And, and the reason for that, which we talked about a little bit, is that Path to Exile over Lightning Bolt is a big upgrade. And, like, Lingering Souls, which, while I do think is kind of overrated in, like, the context of various Death Shadow matchups... It does buy you a lot of time, and this Abzan deck is just so heavily saturated with removal that it can actually play a long game very effectively against Death Shadow. It has a lot of removal and a lot of threats. I think like both are pretty important, because if you're trying to play this controlling game where you're like, oh, chump blocking or whatever, and killing, trying to kill their stuff, but they just kill your threats, then you know eventually they're going to end up on top of that. Yeah, I've also played like multiple games where... So, so the way... like that you play, like, very long games with Death Shadow, eventually you will draw that, like, extra Thoughtseize, extra Street Wraith, and they will hurt you. So Siege Rhino is, like, legitimately a problem. Yeah, I mean, most of the time you don't care. You're just like, haha, thanks. But if you do play a long game, it, it definitely sucks. You know, like, in the grindy matchups, I usually end up shaving some amount of Street Wraiths just because I know the games are going to go kind of long and you can't afford to pay that much life over the course of, like, a 10- or 12-turn game. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with all those points, but oddly enough, I mean, Siege Rhino is just actually a, a scary card on, like, turn 10. So Abzan is kind of still the thumbs up. I think it's still pretty decent. It's a reasonable choice. What about you? Yeah, if for whatever reason you just, like, want to play a traditional rock deck, you want to cast some Lingering Souls, then play Abzan. Just don't play Jund. And if you really like Abzan and you really like Death Shadow, don't try and merge them. You're You're not really gaining anything. Just go do something else. Agreed. If there is something that you are dead set on having, like Lingering Souls, which I don't think is great, but, you know, say you're dead set on that, you can still just splash that in Jund or whatever. Like, you can just play that wherever you want. You don't have to just be straight Abzan. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan either, but it's totally defensible if that's what you want to do. Yep, okay. So, same percentage as Abzan, Grixis Delver. You hate it. I think it's kind of scary. I mean, yeah, playing against Delver on turn one is definitely scary, but I think playing the card Delver of Secrets is just garbage. I think the matchup's kind of scary from the Death Shadow perspective because, like, they're kind of, they can play the control game and they can play the burn you out game, and they also have a little permission to like back it up, you know. So it's like they're they're just doing the two things that you're kind of scared of at the same time. I mean, th those concerns are legitimate, but wouldn't you also be, for the same reasons, essentially be afraid to play against Grixis Shadow? I mean, yeah, definitely. Well, most definitely. The Delver decks have, like, a little bit extra reach, I think. Like, they play the fourth bolt. They're interested in keeping the bolt in. They have some electrolyzes and stuff like that. Like, they also have, like, the early pressure, right? Like, they're they're going to be able to, like, ride Delvers and maybe just, like, kill, Snapcaster kill your first two threats. And that's scary. So, I don't know. I think they're a little bit better at being beat down. Maybe not as great at grinding, but, yeah. I don't know, like, Manalik is also, like, Manalik can be good. I guess Spell Snare is basically blank. Uh, it's not blank, but it's like, once you know it's there, it's very easy to maneuver around. I mean, you're, I'm, I'm talking about Grixis v. Grixis, heads up. Ah, okay, I see. Yeah, that, that's legit. I mean, Spell Snare is like, probably pretty good in that matchup. 
Grixis Delver against Jund is still completely fine. It's going to hit a Goyf at some point. Maybe. You can also just force them to react and just, like, sneak a Goyf under their spell snare or whatever. Sure. I mean, they are landlight. It is possible that they're not always going to be able to float the one mana. But... So, I don't know. I've, I've kind of made dramatics about it or whatever, but I, I do think just playing Delver of Secrets is much worse than playing Death Shadow. Ba- basically, the reason is, like, and it, it kind of goes back to, you know, you discussing spell snare and mana link to some extent. For you to make Delver of Secrets effective in the majority of matchups, you really need to, like, defend against the, the top of your opponent's deck for maybe two or three turns. And that kind of facilitates play patterns where discard is not as effective as counter spells. But, like, just clearing the way and, like, crippling your opponent's game plan and then just putting them on a two turn clock instead of trying to hit your opponent for three, you know, six times is just. And so cover much more, their top deck. And cover their top deck is just so much more powerful. I agree. I mean, there's certainly a cost, right? It's just like you end up dealing yourself, like, five or six damage over the course of the game, even if they are putting pressure on you. So that that is certainly a thing, but I don't think the metagame is really aggressive enough to take advantage of that, and also, like, the aggressive decks that do exist are still very weak to just having, like, Death Shadow and Tarmogoyf as blockers. So I don't know what the answer is. Like, I feel like it's an aggro deck that is evasive and also just, like, kind of threat-dense. I feel like Affinity is so weak to, like targeted discard followed by like two targeted removal spells and then you're just left with like you know some ornithopters or whatever i feel like if there's an aggressive deck that also does not care about ground blockers then it'll probably do pretty well so you know things like merfolk things like dredge i think are just like a little scarier and you know could potentially be like the new aggro decks in the format i mean i think for whatever it's worth like dredge is not going to be a good matchup for any kind of grixis variant i think that's one of the few bad matchups or Jund, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, Jund has, has more of a chance just because Teamer Battle Rage. You can kind of, like, cheese dredge out. True. Yeah, but that's, like, the only thing, right? Yeah, it's it's really bad other than that, like, very specific line. But I don't know. Like, I, I just really strongly feel like there's very little reason, excuse me, to play Delver over Death Shadow. Fair enough. So I do want to talk about Dredge. You can poo-poo on Storm a little bit if you want. The next biggest deck, like, on numbers is Red-Green Scapeshift, and they have two separate ones, so it's actually, like, combined, it's, like, 4%. So it's, like, actually sort of popular. And I played against this deck twice in Indie, and it was, like, both of them were the Spirit Guide version. They are both pretty scary just because of how explosive they could be. Obviously, if you have, like, a very good Thoughtseize against them, they just kind of fall apart, plus you have a, a good clock. But just, like, things happened, like... Spirit Guide into Chandra Torch of Defiance kill your Tarmogoyf on turn three. You know? And it was just like, okay, I'm dead. I just lose straight up. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that just sounds like utter nonsense. That's that's not at all how I've ever seen the games play out. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think this, this deck is, like, kind of underrated, too. It's very redundant. It has, like, a very high threat density just because of the presence of Valakit and natural land drops. So it's, like, really hard to play a late game against. If you can strip, like, their Primeval Titan, then it does take a little while for them to kill you, like, just through natural means. I think you just basically have to play with no fear, just, like, always go for their, like, you know, one or two big spells, try to clock them as best you can, play around nothing, and hope it works out. Notably, these red-green Titan decks, like, have an absolutely horrendous matchup against Ad Nauseum, so any kind of, like, increase in popularity in that deck is, is a huge problem. Yep, that's legit, especially when they start main-decking Leyline. I mean, it was... <laughs> Beating an Angel's Grace or a Phyrexian life is hard enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think this deck is good. I don't think I like the super slow, like, Call Me Heart Expedition version. I don't think I like the medium version where it doesn't have the expeditions. I think I am on board with, like, the Spirit Guide version at this point, mostly because of Chalice in the post-board games. And I've said this before where 
if you are getting to a point where you want to play like this green kind of mid-rangey deck, except you need to like dilute your deck with spirit guides and stuff to like be fast enough to keep up with the rest of the format, you should probably just be playing something else. But I think that's actually like a reasonable place to be now. Like no one's deck is super consistent at this point, or at least like the the best decks, the most powerful decks are like not as consistent. You know, it's just like the Storm deck is pretty bad. The Ad Nauseam deck is pretty bad. The Eldrazi decks are pretty bad. Like, everyone's deck is bad, I think, except for Death Shadow. And they're, like, bad to some degree, which isn't to say that you shouldn't play them because if they're all bad, then they're all good, you know? But it's just like every every sort of deck is going to have some sort of awkward draw. So I think Spirit Guide's actually okay. Sure. And, and there are, like, very specific shifts in the metagame, like maybe if Dredge and Tron got more popular, where this deck would get, like, very, very good. Yeah. Definitely agree with that. I also think Dredge is very good. It, for whatever reason, it is just very underplayed right now, and it's probably, if not the scariest matchup, it's very close for Death Shadow, at least. Yeah, I guess I, maybe one of the big motivations for me feeling like it's the best underplayed deck is because it's the only deck I'm afraid to play against. But, I mean, that says something. That is a telling thing. Like, Death Shadow is getting closer and closer to 10%. According to this chart, which, you know, maybe those numbers are just crazy make ups again, but that deck is frightening. It, it's still good. Like, it's not like going from Dredge 4 to Dredge, or Dredge 6 to Dredge 4 makes your deck unplayable. You're just, like, a little less explosive at times. It's, like, very, very, very hard to beat Dredge straight up with any of the blue versions. You basically just need Battle Rage to race them. You just need to, like, not get, you know, completely blanked by chump blockers and take an extra, like, turn or two off the clock. It was basically a, a small miracle that I beat Dredge in Indy with Jund, because my opponent also had Vengeful Pharaoh in his, in his deck. And, and Oh, yeah. If you want to really just, like, put a nail in the coffin, then you can put that card in your sideboard, too. Yeah, if someone is trying to kill you with a Tarmogoyf, you can play some Vengeful Pharaohs, and they, it's really tough for them to win. Yeah, so I think Dredge is good. Another another good one for team. Basically, doesn't take any cards except for the mana base, which is kind of tricky, but you always can play the rainbow ones, so... That's another consideration. I might end up playing this deck, and we'll see how much I like it. Yeah, I think you can actually... You, you won't be playing, like, an optimal mana base, but I don't think it'll be, like, significantly worse if you get a little creative. No, I mean, you can still play, like, Tarns and Maces or whatever, depending on what deck you're playing. Yep, I think most lists still play Copperline Gorge, right? Yeah. So that's free. Yeah, and then I guess Brutality is a card that I would want to play, but nothing past that is a real magic card. Yeah, definitely Brutality is probably the biggest cost. Oh, well, don't care. What do you think about gifts? Blue Storm. red gift storm. I think storm just kind of stinks. It's in like that classic combo spot where you have a deck that is vulnerable to discard creature removal and graveyard hate. You're just kind of bad against it all. That's that's a tough place to be. Yeah, I the mean, the bright side is that gifts just kills them almost every time. Yeah, so the deck is like incredibly redundant. Gifts does just set up like some kind of past and flames loop that's very hard to get out of. Assuming your opponent's not interacting with you in a meaningful way. But as soon as they do, like, you just lose to kind of any meaningful interaction. I remember playing, like, this is, granted, this is before, like, one of the last cards got banned. Not pro, but I think, like, Seething Song was even legal, right? Mm -hmm. I'm playing, like, black-green something against a kid in a PTQ, and he was playing Storm. And it's just like, yep, discard spell, play a cage, kill your Electromancer. And it's just like, all of my cards were live, and they are all just back-breaking. And he still had, like, you know, two more cards in his deck that were banned. And he was just like, oh, you know, I don't think this matchup's that bad or whatever. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, all of my cards are so good. This is, like, the actual nightmare for you. Uh, this is also probably not a popular opinion, but just, like, looking over the Storm deck list, like, kind of the way that they have to function through interaction, 
I don't think that you want to be playing 18 lands anymore. Like, I think just, like, playing more lands over, like, sleight of hand... And maybe that's not the right card to cut. I'm not going to claim that. But, like, I think you do want to just set yourself up to play a longer game. Yeah, I mean, how many how many rituals do you want in your deck? Like, I realized the, the, the first list I clicked on had, like, eight creatures and three empty the Warrens, you know? But, like, maybe this is just a different deck. Like, maybe you can't actually win unless you cast Gifts on Given, right? Because it's like, what what are the odds that you win with this deck unless you cast Gifts? Virtual zero. So low. Yeah. And do you, like, how big does your base need to be when you do cast Gifts? Very little. Yeah. I don't know. I think it might be time to, like, start shaving on Rituals. Like you said, start playing lands. Because, like, once you get into those spots, like, every extra land drop you have is another Ritual. You know? Because the Rituals are just plus one mana anyway. So if you're not comboing people until turn six or whatever, you might as well have, like, a big base to go from so you can actually, like, castle these cantrips out of your graveyard and stuff. Yeah, the, the, the scariest spots for Storm is when you don't put enough pressure on them and, like, they just actually build up, like, four or five lands on the battlefield because then, like, Passion of Flames plus any ritual just wins the game on the spot. More or less, or at least, like, you know, if, if you're playing some grindy matchup, it lets them draw four cards or whatever, and then they can probably just do it again next turn. Right. Obviously, the deck has evolved, don't get me wrong, but I think the some of the aspects of how the deck is built right now are still left over from Pyromancer's Ascension. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I like Sleight of Hand and Serum Vision still. I think it is probably just, like, I want to cut Rituals or find a different backup win condition than Empty the Warrens because Empty is dependent on you drawing a bunch of rituals which i think are probably kind of bad yep uh, i mean maybe you just like don't want to play eight creatures like that is a very high number and if you flood on them like turning on your opponent's first removal spell is pretty good for them but like if you get to turn on their second too which is like should be a dead spell the majority of the time like maybe they can just like win games against you they have no business so i think this deck mostly needs gifts but it also mostly needs one of the creatures too I mean, again, I'm I'm not advocating, like, chopping all your Baral's, but, like, I would heavily consider, like, maybe the effectiveness of playing a 19th or 20th land over the 4th Baral is something to consider. Yeah. I mean, this list that I'm looking at is the one with 3 Empty the Warrens and 8 Creatures, and it seems like that one's backup plan is just, like, play Creature, play some Rituals, play Empty, like, all in the same turn. Yeah, but that strikes me more as, like, position to cheese your opponent out. Yeah, I don't think the deck has to be built that way, but I'm just saying, like, that is why this specific list is built this way. Sure. Uh, I have seen multiple people play, like, a, a bunch of Empty the Warrens and Reckless Bushwhackers on their board. I, I love that plan. I tried to make that work a while ago. I mean, it's scary. I've, I've, I lost a game to, or at least one, maybe two or three, like, that I probably wouldn't have lost, except for to that plan specifically. Sounds about right. I like Bushwhacker. I certainly like it better than Madcap Experiment. Oh, yeah, that plan sucks. And, and, like, people are incentivized to, like, keep in Path to Exile against you. Yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I think uh, change the peers for Merchant Scrolls. Maybe cut some Rituals, cut some Empties, and uh, since you're slowing down, maybe you need to play some Bolts or, you know, some sort of interactive spell. But I think that's a reasonable enough plan. At least something that's worth trying. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're basically positioning yourself more how, like, Ad Nauseam is, where it's like, I'm going to play a little bit of a longer game and try to kill you on, like, turn five. Well, I mean, Ad Nauseam is doing well, right? So, like, clearly that plan is doing A-OK. But, like, they also have a lot of, or a decent amount of, like, free interaction where it's, like, they get to, like, steal one of the turns back with uh, Unlife or an Angel's Grace. Yep. I I mean, obviously it's not the cleanest comparison, but I I do think it's something to keep in mind. Yep, I do too. Okay, so uh, tournament tomorrow. Let's say that for whatever reason you couldn't play Death Shadows. Okay, I'm not allowed any Death Shadows. Nope, you're not. Um, 
I don't I don't know why you would go to this tournament. Yeah, you know, I, I think I would stay home. Well, current me, I wouldn't feel comfortable playing ad nauseum just picking that up. So I think if I literally had to register right now, I'd probably either go with Bantel, Drazi, or Dritch. I, I think I, those are my exact two. If I had a good Merfolk list, you know, if I had a Merfolk list that looked like it made sense, then I would consider that. But Bantel, Drazi, and Dredge are probably the two that look the best to me. I mean, in this shitty world where I can't play Death Shadow and there's a gun to my head to play Modern, I guess I could live with playing Merfolk. I mean, if, if there's a gun to my head, it's like, fine, dude, I'll play whatever, man. Just <laughs> yeah. put that thing down. Just relax. Right? Like, let me just get out of this weekend alive. Yeah, chill out. What do you want me to play? Zer? Okay, I'm in. <laughs> man, there are a lot of good decks down here, too. I'm scrolling down this list. We got, like, Amulet, Living In, Infect, Lantern. I think Lantern's probably hella good, which oh, is kind of yes. weird. I think Lan- Lantern is probably great. That was actually on our short list of, like, decks that we would consider learning for this team tournament. It's like, I, I would have signed up to learn Lantern. Oh my god, I don't think I can do it. I I think I can, but I'm, I'm, I might just be crazier than you. That's possible. You are almost certainly crazier than me. I definitely think that I could do it. I just don't want to. I wouldn't mind it at all. Oh, did you ever realize that I did a versus video with that Bant Spirits deck that you sent me? I did not know that. Yeah, I think that I think that deck is actually like pretty pretty good. Okay, sweet. Is is that a lock for San Antonio then, or no? But like uh, again, like. Maybe if I get around to the modern bucket list, that's on the list. Yeah, I mean, the, I, I used to write those articles. They're always really fun, and I think people liked them, so you should definitely do that. I think you have, like, more brews than I do, too. Yeah, but most of them are pretty bad. It doesn't matter. That That's what the bucket list is for, man. It's, like, things that I want to play, but I probably won't get around to. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I'm not shy about posting pretty bad modern decks in my articles, but they're, they're usually always, like proof of concepts like these things are possible more than like we should do these things okay well we are well over an hour i don't know i'm still kind of curious as to like what length people want for a podcast i think obviously it varies with people but is this too long i don't know let let us know yell at us on twitter i mean if it's not clear that we we always shoot for about an hour so yeah yeah but when we started i was shooting for like 45 minutes uh, well, I mean, we were talking about, like, 12 modern decks, so I kind of expected it to go longer. Yeah, I did too. And then, as, like, we go further and further down the list, it's like, eh, I don't really want to talk about this deck. I have nothing positive to say. You know, this deck just kind of sucks, so. Yeah, well, I mean, shorter and shorter. Hopefully, you know, well, A, people like listening to modern, so hopefully they didn't realize that we're basically just trying to indoctrinate them into the Death Shadow Club. It, it's going to seep in eventually. And then what are we going to do? We just get to play mirror matches? Is that even fun? I mean, we'll just we'll just move on to Esper, and it'll be fun again. Okay, sure. Or or we just bring it to Legacy. Just bring the Death Shadow Heat. I've tried that; it didn't work out. Uh, well. Swords of Plowshares is a hell of a card, dude. It's so good. <laughs> I so I was countering their Swords to Plowshares with Sylvan Library. Uh, how does that work? Because they just give you more life, and you draw more cards. Oh, 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 oh okay. I see. I thought I thought you're there's like some weird timing thing you were talking about. No, but uh, yeah, you get you get sweet stuff like Snuff Out. Dude, Snuff Out is nice. It is. It doesn't kill Baleful Strix, which I lost to a lot. And I imagine like that card is way more popular now than it was then. So nor does it kill Leovold or Truth. or Deathrite. Yeah, I'm off it. Yeah, yeah, it, it kills actual nothing, you know. So I guess we'll play Dismember instead. But yeah, maybe we'll have to like Rancor that thing to get over Baleful Strix. Who knows? Yeah, I think I think next next on the list for me is either I'll just play Sultai Delver again or I'll just play Reed Duke's deck. Yeah, I want to I play Leovold something. 
I've been I've been sketching out some Death Shadow lists though. I learned a lot playing the modern ones. I played Death Shadow in Legacy in an Invitational once, and I think if I could go back and do that all over now, like my deck would be so much better. Do you play a combination of Shocklands and Dual Lands? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like pretty low on actual Dual Lands. Like one or two of those and like four Shocklands or something? Yeah. I think I had like two Watery Graves, one of each Green Duel, and then like two Underground Seas or something. I'm just not really like keenly aware of the weirdo cards you can play off the top of my head. It wasn't that strange. Like, going into Green for Sylvan was the weirdest thing I did. Okay, and this was, like, pre-Deathrite Shaman, so obviously the world is just completely different. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Did, did you know that when you cast Force of Will, you have to pay a life? It's so convenient, man. <laughs> yes, I was aware. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that'll ever happen just because Swords to Plowshares is such an ass-kicking, but it sounds like a fun exercise at the very least. You just only play one thing at a time, dude. It's no big deal. I mean, I totally understand that, but it's like, they still, like, get your thing, and then you can't cast your other thing the next turn. Sure you can. You just got a sandbag. It's all good, man. You just gotta trust pay, me. Pay trust me. Life with Sylvan Library. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, I've been convinced of far worse things. All right. Dope. That's game. Mm-hmm.